I'm about to have a panic attack. I did the work, it didn't work. That truth it hurts, that damn it hurts. Welcome to What She Said on 1059 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, you've made it. You've soldiered through the first few weeks of back to school and fell into a routine again. We've all reached a sweet little lull in the year where we can all embrace some quiet before things begin to ramp up again. So grab a warm beverage and sit back for today's show. Here's what's coming up. Meridian Credit Union is back, baby, for a four-part series on finances during different stages of women's lives. We kick things off today with Carrie Anderson, Senior Practice Management Coach with Meridian Credit Union, and it's all about retirement. Today, we ask the question, is Freedom 55 still possible? Who's up for some good, clean fun? Sarah Kate is a former wine-loving mom of two on a mission to help women rethink drinking and overcome the normalization of alcohol everywhere by inspiring them to find the fun in life sans alcohol. And Brody's regular Saturday Night at the Movies is a little bit longer this week, simply because there is so much new in entertainment, we had to. We chat about Eternal Spring, Canada's submission for the 2023 Oscars in the Best International Feature Film category, a jazz man's blues on Netflix, the much-anticipated Blonde, also on Netflix, about Norma Jean, a.k.a. Marilyn Monroe, a documentary on Apple TV about class act Sidney Poitier, and finally, a stunning series on TVO called Great Lakes Untamed. Lindsay Seeley, author of the Made for More book, is back for the second in a series about Gen Z women and girls, and we chat about the not good enough epidemic and how we can help our young women fight back against it. If you are drawn to horror when it comes to entertainment, either in documentaries, films, or books, you're not alone. Women are weirdly obsessed with horror. Author Ainsley Hogarth and I break that down, plus we talk about her latest book, Mother Thing, a darkly funny domestic horror novel about a woman who must take drastic measures to save her husband and herself from the vengeful ghost of her mother-in-law. Yes, it's fiction. Finally, Anne Brody is back with an interview with the incredible Tyler Perry, who wrote and directed Tiff Hit and Netflix release A Jazz Man's Blues, which follows an investigation into an unsolved murder, unveiling a story full of forbidden love, deceit, and a secret. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Many of us grew up, myself included, with a Hollywood version of retirement in our minds. Who can forget those Freedom 55 commercials where well-rested and beautiful adults left their careers to pursue a life of leisure and relaxation? That phase of life, though, has only expected to last roughly 10 years or so. The reality today is that female adults have an average life expectancy of 90. This means that our retirement years are lasting longer than we may have expected 
anticipated or planned for. And we need to ensure that we have taken into consideration the unforeseen events that may take place as a result. Joining me now to discuss how to make sure your retirement plan is accounting for a longer lifespan plus some hiccups along the way is Carrie Anderson, Senior Practice Management Coach with Meridian Credit Union. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thanks, Candace. So planning for retirement, is it even reasonable to suggest that 55 is, is practical anymore? It's an interesting question. And it's so funny that you brought up the Freedom 55 commercials, because definitely that was what we saw for so many years growing up. And I mean, even retirement plans themselves were geared towards retirement at 65. And that sort of seemed to be the hard stop that many of us had in mind. And even in recent years, that's changed where we can still pay into an RSP up until the age of 71. So the government has realized that people are starting to stay in the workplace longer. And for many, leaving a first career is, that's what retirement is, and they move to a second career. So for many, because as you mentioned, life expectancy is much longer, um, we tend to work longer and then we tend to stay in the workplace longer as well. So I do think 55 for some of us, absolutely, but I don't think for the majority. And I think too, it's not just about, you know, wanting to take a break. Work can be very fulfilling for people. I'm in my fifties. I, you know, I don't foresee myself wanting to retire anytime soon, Mm. uh, but maybe slow down. So do people talk Mm. about that a lot when they're retirement planning? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something, it's almost like phased retirement where because retirement can, retirement could last 20, 25 years, absolutely people are starting to look at, well, maybe I feel like I've reached a pinnacle in what I'm doing now and I have other interests. And now do I want to pursue those? Like this could be the time as opposed to slowing down completely, maybe changing direction or just again, venturing into something they didn't have a chance to do earlier because of commitments, say, with family, children, etc. I know there are women who are listening to this and they're they're immediately feeling um, shame or stress because they may not have their retirement plan in place. What would you say to them? I would say there is no shame and there is no panic about not having a plan in place. And again, coming back to the fact that retirement can last so long, the thought of having a plan in place at age 55, 65, it's not going to be the same thing. You're not going to be necessarily living that plan out for the duration of your retirement. So I would say instead of holding off because you feel shame that you haven't got a plan in place, now, like today is the day, tomorrow's the day, even start putting thoughts in motion, writing things down, having it just starting to sketch out what would you like retirement to look at, or to look like, um, you know, and then the other side of it too, often, as women, we tend to be caregivers for so many people in our lives, for our children, for our parents, for spouses, for other loved ones. So we often put their needs ahead of our own. And I really think when it comes to retirement planning, putting our oxygen mask on first and taking some time to just, even like I said, just start writing down some ideas, I think is a great place to start. You know, it's it's interesting to me because I think when we plan for retirement, we think about that ideal lying on the beach, sipping a pina colada, reading a good book. That's the plan A. Mm -hmm. Do you talk to your clients a lot about plan B? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a great point because again, with retirement lasting so much longer, so many other things can happen. And if we focus on the ideal version of what we want retirement to look like, as you mentioned in the start, if a hiccup comes along or something changes, it can really make us freeze and think, oh, oh what now? So I think having a plan B in retirement planning is important because it's just that contingency plan. It just gives you that, that peace of mind that you know, hopefully things go along the plan A path. And if they don't, I also have a second idea or way of, of handling and making it through, or I have other options or solutions available to me. So when it comes to educating ourselves about retirement, then what are some of your suggestions? Are there places you think we should start when we, we start maybe mapping out those sort of different plans and thinking about that equation, if X, then Y? Uh, mm -hmm. where, do we, where do we start? Yeah, great question. And I think one of the important things to keep in mind is as we move in, is as we even consider retirement planning, realize we don't need to have all the answers. And I feel that uncertainty causes such a huge roadblock for many of us to start. And I'll say, I am guilty of this. I have been in the industry for 25 years and I dragged my heels on planning, on getting a will in place, powers of attorney, the whole bit. And I dragged my heels because I was scared. I didn't know what things would look like in my head. I figured I probably was going to be okay, but I didn't know for sure. And I didn't necessarily want to see it written down on paper. And oh, also, I want to I want to pause yeah, you for two yeah. seconds and thank you for saying <laughs> that because I think it's important to you know because you're an expert in this field. But I think we really do need to hear that. Experts have fears as well. Um, I remember going into, um, you know, figure out my will and breaking down bawling in the lawyer's office because it was just facing that my mortality that was hard. Uh, and retirement, although it can seem beautiful, can also be scary. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Money is so emotionally connected to us. And, and also, like you said, mortality, we're talking about moving towards the end of our life and we're talking about big decisions and it can be overwhelming and it can be really scary. And so understanding as well, a financial plan, I like to think of it as a living document. And that just means that even if we only have clear vision for maybe the next five years, that's great because you know what, in five years, we can have the conversation again check where we are, and then push another five years out. And even if just doing it in those small increments helps you to feel more comfortable with the whole conversation, still, it's it's just important, you know, and, and to your point, also having conversations about the what ifs, you know, so things like if my mobility changes, how does that affect where I live? Um, you know, how does it affect caregivers, people I need in my life to help me? how you know, long-term health care, there's so many aspects that can roll into that. So, you know, but taking those small steps, not having to, you know, you don't have to eat the whole elephant. You can chunk it down into pieces and handle pieces as they feel comfortable. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, that we, we don't pay attention to is that if you don't have a plan in place, uh, you know, for many things in life, not having a plan still weighs on you. It still sucks you down. Absolutely. Knowledge is power, you know, and like you said, that uncertainty, especially about our financial future, it eats away at mental bandwidth because 
as you said, even if it's not in the front of your mind every single day, as you're faced with decisions to make, especially financial decisions, if you don't have an idea in your gut of how things are, it's in the back of your mind worrying you, you know? Um, and I can tell you from, again, my experience, having, before I had the plan, I think my shoulders were here. Having the plan, they just went like this. Because I saw in black and white, here's where I am. And even if what I saw made me feel a little bit uncertain, at least I had it on paper and I knew where am I? I'm not lost. And I, I have a plan to help me, you know? So it also helps to open up conversations with loved ones about your wishes because it just gives you that clarity. Um, you can talk to your kids about what you're thinking. You can have an open conversation maybe with your parents. Maybe you've never talked with them about their plans. So lots of good can come from it. Yeah, I really love that. And it's like, it's like a map, right? You don't have, there's not only one roadway on a map, but at least if you have a map, you have a sense of direction. So I love that, that that's a living document. You can change things. Um, I know that Meridian all, you know, they really have a focus on helping women with these things. Where can my listeners go to find out more about this topic in particular? Absolutely. So if you visit our website, it's uh, www.meridiancu.ca. There's a section specifically called Her Sense, and it's a treasure trove of resources and education pieces, and also will help you link up with an advisor because really, at the end of the day, having a trusted advisor who you can work with is key because your advisor, they're educated, this is their job, they've worked with tons of people who've had questions, and they can provide you just the guidance and that second set of eyes and opinion to help you weigh in on all of this. Amazing. Carrie, thanks so much. Uh, and for reassuring us all that we're not crazy. <laughs> we just need to make a plan. So uh, we're looking forward to having uh, Meridian back next month with more great content. But thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're gonna miss me by my walk. You're gonna miss me by my talk. Oh, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. If you really knew yourself, you'd never get lonely. It's not a ride if you never get off. It's not a marathon if you run in a race that don't stop. Drinking is encouraged and normalized for women and mothers, and we often don't notice it around us because it's become so normalized. Research, however, has shown it's extremely unhealthy, even in small quantities, and even small amounts of drinking are directly correlated with breast cancer risk. My next guest, Sarah Kate, is Canada's non-alcoholic drink expert and founder of the online publication SomeGoodCleanFun.com, an alcohol-free lifestyle publication. A former wine-loving mom of two, Sarah's mission is to help women rethink drinking, overcome the normalization of alcohol everywhere, and demonstrate a healthy lifestyle for our children. Welcome to What She Said, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me today, Candace. So how long ago did you start Some Good Clean Fun? So I started Some Good Clean Fun in April 2021, so uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, that was after about a year of my own rethinking drinking 
uh, mission, journey, whatever you want to call it. What was the moment where you said, I, I want to step away from drinking? Was there, was there, was it a series of moments or one sort of event that said, made things, alarm bells go off for you, I guess? What it was, was just, it accumulated over time. It wasn't just one moment. It was sort of, for a lot, for many, many years, I had started feeling really uncomfortable with how much wine I was drinking and how little it was actually joyful for me. Like it was losing its luster. Have, and it, it, you know, it, because it's an addictive substance, which I know now, um, you know, I was going from one to two and then to three. And then, you know, I was hitting like four large glasses of wine in the evening, you know, on a Friday night. And, uh, it, it just started becoming this. So it was about a year before I really said no, that I was like, I got to stop this. Like, I, I felt like things were slipping out of my control. When you talk to people about stopping drinking, do you think the automatic assumption is, you know, you're an alcoholic, you're out on the streets, you can't function in your life? Do you think that's where people automatically go in, in assumptions with that? Choosing to be alcohol free has a stigma around it. No matter what route you took to get to that point, there are a lot of people who are need recovery, who have hit rock bottom. But there are thousands and thousands and thousands of women who are in that gray area. It's called gray area drinking. We don't know how dangerous it is. And it's so normalized that we're over drinking all the time. And um, we may not even identify with having a problem. So, but when you tell somebody that, yes, automatically they go to that, you know, that stigma of, oh gosh, you must be an alcoholic. My one point about this is, and this just came up in conversation recently, is that alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, it is a great tool for many, many, many people over, over the last hundred years. But the fact that it's anonymous is the thing that actually created the stigma in the first place of, oh my gosh, you got to keep this quiet. You have to be anonymous because it's so embarrassing that you might have a, have a drinking problem that it created. It, it, it push down our ability as a society to talk openly about this. Wow, I, I could not agree with you more on that point. I think we need to be able to have these conversations out in the open without shame, without judgment, uh, so that people can make better decisions when it comes to it. And we've been sort of hiding from it and dancing around it for so long now. Let's talk about the good, clean, fun part of it, though, because I think people think without alcohol, I'm not going to have a good time. <laughs> I always laugh about this because... Look at the smile on my face, feel this. Can you hear the joy in my voice? I was not like this two years ago at all, two and a half years ago. I was not like this. What has, cre what has come about from deciding I'm gonna, I am not gonna drink at all. I don't care what the situation is. I am better than that. What has come from that is so much fun. I have renewed my, you know, my love of life. I'm present for my kids. We laugh. I don't fight as much with my husband. Um, you know, it's there. The other day we went to a barbecue and there was a DJ there, a DJ at a backyard barbecue. And he was playing all these great like Vanga bus and like all these dance songs. And I was dancing so hard and nobody else was dancing. Everybody else was staring at me with their, their, their drinks in their hand. And I'm like, I am having so much fun. And that's just me. That's I, I just want to share that joy and love of the, the renewed love of life that I found through this. 
Yeah, and I think that what you've hit on something perfect there is showing people that it can be done and it's all good. You're not missing anything, right? Uh, so I want people to be able to follow along with you uh, because you share uh, fantastic non-alcoholic beverages and obviously you talk about your journey uh, in this process that might help somebody else. So where can people find you? So on TikTok, I'm mom rethinking drinking. On Instagram, it's at some good clean fun or um, the publication channel is Rethinking Drinking. That's where all the recipes are and, and the mocktails and things. And, and then just on Facebook, some good clean fun. So yeah, follow along. The website is somegoodcleanfun.com and there's lots of good content there too. Sarah, you've been a delight and I can absolutely hear the joy in your voice. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss may There is so much new in entertainment. We have to give Anne Brody a little extra time this week to talk about it all. Uh, let's start, Anne, with Canada has an Oscar entry. It sure does. It's Eternal Spring which is a documentary in the international uh, film category that looks at what happened to a group of protesters who in 2002 uh, hijacked a Chinese state television station and ran videos of Falun Gong, which is a spiritual uh, exercise meditation formation, system that is practiced world around, you know, and there's there were millions in China who practiced it. Well, the communists outlawed it. So these young people, these idealists, were uh, tortured, arrested, uh, some escaped, some were killed in police custody. But these are the survivors who talk about what happened. One of them lives in Toronto, uh, and he does this magnificent animation it's half live action, half animation. You just wouldn't believe it. It is extremely powerful. I felt so moved and so angry uh, at China. You know, it, it, it's just unforgivable. And that wasn't that long ago. Where can we, people catch that, Anne? That's in theaters. So Eternal Spring. It's in theaters right yeah. now? Okay, perfect. All right, tell me about a jazz man's blues on Netflix. Oh my word, it's Tyler Perry's latest, and it is, it's not what you expect. He does the Medea films. This is so deep and rich and powerful, and it's about uh, a slave family in the Deep South in the 30s. Now, there's two sons um, and uh, parents. Each of them has have problems that deal, that come from systemic racism alcoholism, uh, you know, criminality and whatnot. But the lead character, um, Bayou, played by the incredible Joshua Boone, falls in love with um, a girl who, whose parents, she's black, but her parents want her to pass as white and marry wealth, which she does. So it's their story. It's also the story of music, black music coming up to Chicago. Um, it's really rousing and wonderful. The, the original black art form, um, rhythm and blues, uh, gospel, that kind of thing. 
So it is wonderfully evocative and the love story is fantastic, but it reminds us of the dreadful Jim Crow era in the South. Really powerful stuff on that and it's on Netflix now. All right, excellent. I want to talk about God's Country. I watched the trailer. It's incredibly intense, but also Tandaway Newton, I think, is just, first off, she's stunningly beautiful, but I think she is such a wonderful actress, and this movie looks so good to me. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't think I've seen a film in which a woman in a lead role has stood up for herself in, like, as she does in God's Country. So she plays a woman who was a, a police officer in Atlanta. She moves up to Montana to study, uh, sorry, to teach a university course on media relations. Um, and she lives alone in a house. Her mother's just died in this huge isolated gulch. A red truck keeps showing up and parking. She leaves a note for them to stay away. She doesn't know who these people are. They're hunters. Well, they start to uh, terrorize her. <laughs> You've, your heart breaks for her. She's in this huge house that's mostly glass. She could be seen all the time. So the tension mounts between her and these young men, these brothers. She gets a local policeman. There's one policeman looking after 300 square miles out there. There's not much he can do and he's angry with her for coming to her. But he, they go to see the brothers and bad, bad, bad situation. And their hostility mounts. So she digs out her old police gun and gets on a trail to revenge. I'm telling you, it, it is so unexpected. <sighs> I, I held my breath the yeah. entire trailer so it's that's definitely a good one that's in theaters now the next two we're going to talk about are directly related to uh, the only thing i can say is they're icons so let's talk about blonde yes this is the much awaited uh fictional biography feature based on the uh, joyce carol oates novel which is incredible and it's really a lurid novel and this is really a lurid film but this is the way people have imposed their own thoughts on her on Norma Jean Baker and how it affected her life um, she was allegedly continuously abused by studio people by her agents by virtually anyone who would first of all she did it for attention and love because she had such a rotten childhood but then it turned out to be the price she had to pay to get roles or to get time off or whatever. Um, Anna de Armas, a Cuban actor, is phenomenal. Her appearance, her movements, her accent, and I have an interview with her on the, uh, on the site. She says that Marilyn had different accents for every film, which I never noticed. So all of that has come into play. She's really spent you know, a lifetime in two years getting ready for this role. And we have uh, Joe DiMaggio in there, played by Bobby Cannavale, and Arthur Miller, played by Adrian Brody. It's, uh, as I said, it's really kind of sleazy, but that's, that's how she's looked at. And it's unfortunate because she was an extremely intelligent intellect. She read all the classics. She knew what she was doing. 
But, you know, this is the way it was back in the 50s and 60s. Well, never mind back in the 50s and 60s. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about Harvey Weinstein. So I can oh. only imagine what Marilyn Monroe must have went through. Um, all right, that's on Netflix. And let's talk about Sydney because what a class act that man oh is. Oh, my Lord. I wish I could have met him. Apparently, he's 6'2", and he's just majestic, like this mountain of dignity. So it's his biography told from the point of view of just dozens of huge stars, everyone from Lenny Kravitz, who he's related to by marriage, um, to Barbara Streisand, Quincy Jones, just an endless parade of, of major stars weighed in on him. And of course, it's produced by Oprah, and she's reduced to tears at the end. She loved him so much. Um, but we see how he came along. He, he, he'd never experienced racism when he lit, grew up in the Bahamas. He wound up in Miami and was more or less chased to New York where he knew it would be better. He started to get work as an actor, just small roles, and he was told he'd never make it. And of course, he won an Oscar. Uh, <laughs> and and it's, he's so dignified and so sure of himself and, and kind and, and loving. He raised six daughters, for heaven's sakes. He had two wives, six daughters. Um, and everyone, including his, his first wife, speaks so fondly of him. And his eloquence, his, his incredible gift for storytelling just comes shining through. Um, it'll lighten your soul to watch, Sydney, And it's on Apple. All right, wonderful. Um, there's one more I just want to talk about here at the end, because I think um, the cinematography in this was so well, just breathtaking. So Great Lakes Untamed. Oh my God, I'm so excited about this series. It, it's it's a documentary um, that's airing on TVO and all its and all its platforms. Uh, so it it looks at each lake first of all individually and its characteristics. Like Superior's is incredibly dangerous. It's cold and huge. Uh, did you know the Great Lakes have one quarter of the world's fresh water? I did know I did. that. I did know wow. that. Wow. Wow. So uh, so Superior has its its character. Huron is very dangerous because of all the islands. Um, and, of course, you know, Ontario is the most polluted. And also the Sixth Lake, which is the Ottawa River, is fresh. So it cleans the water as it goes out to sea. And Lake Superior, the water there takes 300 years to get to the ocean, whereas uh, where we are, it's just a couple of years. It's just the most colossal body of water. It's like characters. It's it's our it's rich in history. It's uh, it's Canada. You know, we are so fortunate to live by it. This is just an astonishing, fascinating, wonderful series. And, and perhaps it'll spur people to protect it because it does need that. So uh, thank you, Anne, for all of these. This is great. You are back later in the show because, again, we couldn't get it all in this interview. We have a Tyler Perry interview to share later yeah. on. <laughs> so uh, thanks so much for joining me. And Anne will be back later in the show with Tyler Perry. And for more uh, What's New in Entertainment, whatshesaidtalk.com. More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. 
Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Gen Z women and girls are coming of age in a period of increased stress and anxiety. Connected to technology from the cradle, parents and caretakers of this group struggle with helping them navigate it all when they have a hard time keeping up themselves. Lindsay Seeley, author of Made for More, a fresh start approach to a bolder, brighter you, offers the inspiration and guidance young women need. Lindsay is joining what she said for five segments to take a closer look at Gen Z. And today, in the second installment, we're looking at the not good enough epidemic. Welcome back, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. So tell me, what is the not good enough epidemic? I mean, it seems self-explanatory, but let's talk about it. Yeah, well, first of all, it's something I think we all struggle with, but it's this idea of not good enough exactly as I am today. And you can fill in the, the blank in any way that you can imagine. So not pretty enough, not smart enough, not talented enough, not rich enough, not famous enough, not popular enough, whatever it is, I think we all can experience that feeling of brokenness and ultimately inadequacy. So most of this, I'm going to assume, is driven through social media, that feeling of not enough. Is that correct? Well, yes and no, because I think before social media was such an integral part of our lives, I think it would be fair to say that we we would also have gone through times of feeling inadequate. It's just magnified exponentially on social media because now we are exposed to so-called perfect and polished images all of the time, like literally 24-7. So how can we not be influenced when that is most of what we are consuming? So then as parents, you know, or caretakers or, you know, just even close uh, connections with, with this peer group, how do we help them navigate it and, and stay sane? To be honest, even as an adult, I struggle with that all the time, this, these constant images. So I can't imagine a younger person and what they're going through. So how do we help them navigate this? I think it's always helpful, not always realistic to encourage those tech breaks, right? We do not have to be on our phones all of the time. They do not have to be tethered to our hands. Yes, they're fun and they're an important part of our lives. But I think encouraging those breaks and being that leader of example in as many um, experiences as we can. So we're actually truly connecting and talking. But I think if we want to go deeper and we have to kind of flip the script on this idea, how do we go from not good enough to enough, maybe even more than enough, just as I am today. And I think that takes a little bit more work. And one of the the practical tools I could offer parents is just to really focus in and have conversations with growing girls about their qualities. So if I ask you, you know, name a quality that you have, or you'd like to, to start to cultivate, maybe you would say, I'd like, or I feel like I'm generous, I want to be more generous. And it's like, then living your life with that intentionality of well, how are you actually being generous? Could you collect evidence throughout your day so that you're actually proving it to yourself? Because I think a trap we run into is proving it to our social media feeds, proving it to friends and family. But can we actually name a quality or several qualities and start to actually prove to ourselves, yes, this is who I am and this is more than enough. And here are all of the examples of how I live out that quality. 
because I know I had to go through a time of proving it to myself. So I'm like, everyone says I'm so nice. How do I know that? Everyone says I'm smart, but am I smart? So I just had to work really hard at that self-proof that really was about paying attention and giving myself credit where that credit was due. One of the things you say is self-reflection time. And I really like that because I think, you know, it's important that we're able to sort of observe ourselves as we interact with various parts of our lives. But how do you encourage young people to do that? Again, you have to unconnect from disconnect from the phone but is it through meditation is it through talking to somebody uh to help you guide you through what it's like to be self-reflective i think a lot of kids may not even know what it looks like to be self-reflective yeah it's it's sort of one of the simplest practices yet i think that the most difficult because again we have our phones and in any any quiet moments or moments of boredom we did we just pick them up it's just automatic so it takes a little bit of practice and again intention intentionality to just to take those moments of pause but what i offer young young women is just you know it doesn't have to be an hour of meditation it doesn't have to be formal you don't have to go to a class they can be those just a few, a few minutes of downtime is all it takes and i think what it looks like it could be anything that you said it could be talking to someone it could be meditation it could be time outside it could be you know while baking a cake it doesn't matter but I think it's what you do. So it's disconnecting, it's tuning in, and it's really asking yourself some key questions. Like, how am I doing? What am I most proud of from today? Like, where did I feel like I succeeded? Where did I feel like I failed? Or what are some areas where I'd really like to improve on this tomorrow? And I think maybe a key component in this self-reflection is self-kindness. This is not an opportunity to rip a strip off yourself because you didn't, you know, you didn't do everything on your to-do list. That is not the point. That is the opposite. That's going to cause more stress than anything. But just how am I doing? How am I feeling? What am I noticing? What matters to me today? All of those questions are just all such golden nuggets for getting to know yourself. And that takes us closer to self-love. All right. Well, I hope people will continue to tune in over the next few months as you join us on the show to discuss uh, these important issues for Gen Z women and girls. Uh, but in the meantime, your book is out. So congratulations. That's fantastic. So where can people find Thank the book you. and keep up with you on social? You can find the book anywhere bookstores are sold, Amazon and, um, and Indigo and whatnot. And you can follow me on my website at lindsayseeley.com or you can follow me on social media at bold new girls. All right. Wonderful. Thanks so much. We'll have you back next month. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks, Ken. She's just a girl, but she's on fire. Women know all too well that the mental load is a nightmare. My next guest knows this too and has turned it into a horror novel. Ainsley Hogarth is the author of The Lonely and the Boy Meets Girl Massacre. Mother Thing, which we're discussing today, is her third novel, a darkly funny domestic horror novel about a woman who must take drastic measures to save her husband and herself from the vengeful ghost of her mother-in-law. Welcome to What She Said, Ainsley. Thank you. It's nice to be here. This book does sound fun. Was was there an impetus for you to start writing this? Um, let's see. You know, the, uh, there's there's always there's always a lot of uh, things that sort of get you going when you're starting a project. Um, I feel like it's usually like four or five things happen, and then I don't know. That sort of becomes the idea. 
Um, and in this particular case, uh, it was more just, you know, as you said, the mental load. It was more just sort of watching, and I'm sure you experienced this as well, but like how frequently you see, you know, the women in your life taking on the, the mental load or like the emotional labor um, and just how hard that is on people. And uh, I just thought it might be funny um, to turn that into an actual horror novel because it's really quite unpleasant. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's the funny thing about horror. Why do you think women are so drawn to horror? Oh, geez. I mean, <laughs> I guess probably because, I mean, there's probably several reasons for this. Um, so... One kind of sad reason, um, and this is something that I noticed particularly like on maternity leave and also, you know, growing up, you know, when you're like at home with your mom, it's crazy the number of uh, like just horrifying true crime TV shows are on during the day, like directed specifically towards women at home with babies. Like women at home with babies are constantly watching these shows about them being murdered. Um, and that's something that I don't know. It's, I guess, probably because women are also most frequently the ones being murdered, which is terrible. So, in some ways, I kind of think it makes you feel like, okay, if I watch this, I know what I can do, <laughs> you know, if something like this ever happens to me. Or also, just, I don't know, I guess, probably because, yeah, unfortunately, women are often the subject matter. So, maybe that's what um, attracts them to it. Also, I guess, when it comes to things like body horror, which I, there's body horror in Mother Thing. Um, a lot of like body horror sort of happens to a lot of women. Like childbirth is kind of body horror. <laughs> Being pregnant at all is body horror. It's like invasion of the body snatcher sort of. So I feel like there are a lot of things in horror that like actually just happen to women in real life a lot. <laughs> so it's interesting. I love reading horror novels, but I can't watch a show <laughs> or a movie or anything scary. I can't watch. And I've come to realize that I think it's because when I'm reading, I can control my imagination. Whereas if somebody interprets it, I can't, I can't control how they are going to present that to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. No, exactly. Like, you, nothing's going to shock you as much as, like, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. When you write this, when you come up with these ideas, I mean... Do you creep yourself out sometimes? I do. Um, not sort of as I'm writing, but there have definitely been times. There was one time uh, my husband had to move a chair uh, from one room into the room that I was writing in. And uh, as I was writing, I just I couldn't even concentrate because this chair was sort of I kept catching my eye as I was writing these scary scenes. And just I. Yeah. So I do creep myself out. I don't like jump scare myself but definitely if I'm like in a in a zone where I'm writing something creepy like I can't have uh things behind me for example like like the chair <laughs> so yeah definitely happens so I've had a lot of authors on the show and I know that by the time we're talking to you and a book is coming out it's been done a long time uh have you started your next novel yeah I have actually um started my next novel and it's will be coming out um, either uh, at the end of 2023 or the beginning of 2024. We're not really sure yet. Um, but yeah, it's, it's actually the, the first draft of that is, is complete. So that should be well on its way, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> 
And do you stay in the horror genre for your next novel? No, actually, I don't. Um, the next one is a bit more of a, hmm, geez, maybe, I don't want to say thriller, because that, I mean, I don't want to get anyone's hopes up for thrills. <laughs> but yeah, maybe sort of a more of a mystery, I guess. All right, excellent. So um, where can people find Mother Thing? I mean, the timing on the release of this is perfect with Halloween coming up. We're sort of in that spooky season. Uh, so where can people find the book and keep up with you and your next uh, projects? So you can buy the book uh, sort of anywhere the books are sold. Um, Indigo, Amazon, <laughs> places like that. You can also find it at any, most probably of your uh, local bookstores. So for example, if you're in Hamilton, which is where I live, you can go to Epic Books and find it there. Um, if you're in Toronto, you can go to Little Ghost Books, which is the new um, horror bookshop that's opened up um, on Dundas. Uh, yeah, so any local, any anywhere you want, you can probably, hopefully, find it. All right, and on social media? You can find me at, on Twitter at, the handle is Ainsley E-M, Ainsley M, and then on Instagram, just my name, Ains, at Ainsley Hogarth. All right. Wonderful. I'm really looking forward to reading uh, Mother Thing. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. What's it gonna take? What's it gonna take? and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. And I'll spend the rest of my days Lost in this craze for you Sand and paper Anne Brody is back with an interview with Tyler Perry. Tyler wrote and directed the latest Netflix movie and TIFF sensation, The Jazz Man's Blues. That was our first gift. Ain't nothing felt that good in all my life. He asked me not to tell nobody. Where you going, boy? But I sure wanted the world to know. Hold on now. Oh, look at you. Why him and daddy treat me like that? You don't worry about them or nobody else. The film, The Jazz Man's Blues, knocked me out. It was incredible. We learned so much about abuses against blacks in the South, in uh, Jim Crow era in earlier, largely in part to films and documentaries. And here you've, you've given us another story, another horrific story. How did you feel writing it up? Um, how did you manage the weight of it? That's a, that's a very good question. But also, um, I, I don't know how to answer it in in words other than the understanding of being black in America, growing up in the South and having parents who endured Jim Crow and spending summers in rural Louisiana and hearing some of those types of stories and knowing some people who've endured that. Uh, managing it was something that we didn't even know we were doing. You know, in Jazzman, when there's the moments at the the juke joint, my my grandfather actually owned a juke joint called the S Club, and I would see people having a good time. I would be sneaking in the windows to see everybody enjoying themselves. So it was something that you just did and did not know you were doing it. So I don't know how I managed it. I just did. I had to. We had to. Yeah, we did something we both needed real bad. <laughs> we laughed. <laughs> I need you to be happy because we can't be sad together. You hear me? 
And now you needed um, a lead who was a um, a great singer and performer, and 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 had a lot of conviction. So you've got Joshua Boom, who isn't really well known, but he's absolutely incredible. Was it a bit of a gamble? I, I didn't feel like it was a gamble because in in the history of my uh, uh, career, there have been many, many people who've come along that a lot of people didn't know at the time, from Idris Elba to Viola Davis and Kerry Washington. They were all in some of my earlier work. And to so with seeing him, I knew he had something special. Solea, Austin, they all have something incredibly special that I knew that if I gave them the right support, they could deliver uh, this incredible work and that's exactly what they did. I'm so proud of what they did. From the audition, the auditions were great, but then I had conversations with them and they were, the questions that they asked about the time, the period, you know, things like a hairbrush or uh, is this authentic to what he would have said or how he would have moved or she would have moved. That for me, let me know I had the right group of people and bringing them, because they're theater actors, so bringing them from Broadway into film let, was something that I was really excited to have the opportunity to do. By you. Anybody see me in that car? I'm dead. Please. You gotta let me explain. My mother, she wanted me to marry a rich man. She told me if I didn't leave with her, they were gonna kill you. I thought you moved on. The gift of a great actor is to make you believe every word, even when they're not speaking. Uh, you see it and you read it in their face, you feel it. And I think as as an audience member, if they can take you on the journey, not just as a spectator, but make you share emotion with them and heart and soul and spirit with them, then you feel it as hard as you do by the end of Jasmine. Ladies and gentlemen, the incredible Bayou Boys. How could I do that? My heart only beat for you. And I'll spend my life You think of her and you sing. Be sure you know what you're doing. It's a dangerous game, young lady. You can have the blue eyes here, or no life at all. What did you do? Get in the car. Go! Do you still want to take me away? With all my heart. Sending paper planes to the That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 105.9theregion.com.